with tears in her eyes, she watched her eldest child secure his lute firmly with his leather strap, then sling it across his chest. It was early in the morning, and the verdant forest was dark, except for the flickering torch hanging up in the sconce by the door, and the frail, waning crescent hanging up in the far corner of the sky. Both sources of light caressed Ernest's slender figure as he stood in the open doorway of the cottage. Goodbye, Ernie. I expect we'll see you again soon, but hopefully not, Amelia called to her son when he finally stepped away from the building. He usually appreciated when she joked like that, but this time it hit a little too close to home. Still, Ernest played along. He didn't want to sour what could be their last interaction with each other. Who's we? he replied, only half-joking. Neither of his sisters were awake to send him off, and his mother stood alone in the doorway. She didn't say anything in response, only grinned widely and wiggled her fingers a little, then pressed her hand against her cheek. The motion stretched out her face and made her look a little bit like the family goat, but Ernest didn't say that. He smiled and nodded, tightened the straps of his knapsack, then started down the path without so much as a candle to guide his way. The forest around the town of Perot was dense with towering evergreens, and only pale shafts of moonlight found their way to the ground. Ernest didn't mind. He plodded along until the day hit the woods, at which point he stopped for a short while. He thought about whether or not it would hurt his eyes to look directly at the sun, even if it was only just peeking up above the ground. After three minutes of weighing the pros and cons, he decided against it. The rest of the day was similarly uneventful. It was Ernest's first day away from home, but not exciting like he had hoped. As daylight sank lower in the sky, Ernest peered down the trail as far as he could before speaking out loud. Looks like I'll have to make my own excitement then, he announced to a little spruce sapling. The tree said nothing. Ernest took its silence as an approval, and he pulled the lute off his back and began to play. He strummed chords and plucked strings, his fingers bouncing across the frets like little possums hopping through tree branches. After a short while, Ernest took his hands off the instrument and just hummed to himself. The melody meandered about aimlessly, scattered and spread as thin as each of his disjointed thoughts. Ernest sighed and decided to stop for the day. The sun was hanging low, fighting to stay above the treetops as its last rays of light warmed the earth. Ernest looked directly at the orb and regretted it. He shut his eyes and saw spots dancing playfully around his field of view, mocking him for his moment of stupidity. Looking directly at the sun? They jeered. Leon Amel's six-week-old daughter knows not to do that. Ernest's eyelid twitched in frustration as he waited for them to fade. Then he started to look for a place to lay down his things for his first night on the trail. He pulled the pack off his shoulders and set it on the ground next to a mossy rock, then brushed sticks and leaves away from a wide rectangle of space. Then he laid out a sheet of leather, then the bedroll on top of it. The dirt was damp to the touch from a recent rain, but not enough to soak him through the multiple layers he had placed on the forest floor. Too tired to bother eating, Ernest sat himself down on his bedding and began to tuck himself in. He paused for a moment when he remembered he had forgotten to hang his food in a tree, but kept getting settled anyway. There would not be any bears on the trail until he reached the canines, and he was confident that no squirrel would be able to claw its way into his pack. Obviously new to the outdoors, 
Ernest was about as wrong as the squirrels as he possibly could have been. They were vicious, hungry creatures, and would have ripped his bag to shreds and eaten all of his food just to spite him, provided they were given the opportunity. As luck would have it, however, no squirrels happened upon his campsite that night, and later in his life he would attribute the success of that calculated risk to his ability to assess such situations quickly and accurately. When he first woke up to daylight, however, Ernest had more pressing matters on his mind than the mere risk of starvation or bear attacks. His first question when he regained consciousness had been something like, Are fir trees called that because their needles are short like fur? When he realized that was a stupid thought, he stopped thinking it, and moved on to bigger and better ones. One of those bigger and better ones was this. What kind of a name is Ernest, anyway? It doesn't roll off the tongue or command attention like a name should. When Ernest was eight years old, he decided that he would become a revered performer and songwriter, and his name would be the stuff of legends. Eight-year-old Ernest knew that ballads of his life would be sung by highborn lords, troubadours, and peasant girls alike. Eight-year-old Ernest also knew that a title like The Tale of Ernest the Excellent would leave a little something to be desired, and so had tried his hand at picking out a new stage name. Ernest let out a long, shaky sigh, the kind that used to make people think he was crying. He had grown eleven years older, but no better at coming up with something unique to call himself. The closest he'd come to perfection was Ernie, which in his mind demonstrated a calm and collected air, far more respectable than the uptight and high-strung image presented by a name like Ernest. To others, however, Ernie was a little boy's name, and invoked visions of toddlers hitting themselves with sticks or eating fistfuls of mud. Ernest usually gave people either option. Good morrow, kind sir. A tall stranger was briskly walking towards Ernest's makeshift campsite. He didn't seem to be making a directed effort to be stealthy, especially after calling out a greeting, but his footsteps were muffled and quiet all the same. There was a mostly empty bag hung on his left shoulder, and his cream-colored tunic boasted a roll of parchment as his crest. Ernest quickly sat up and peered at the symbol, trying to remember the names of the artisan guilds and their crests. You're a literary, he asked the man, who had stopped about four paces away. Courier, the man responded. When Ernest's face showed no signs of recognition, he continued. I carry letters. We're not crafty or skilled enough to be an official guild, but we were around decades before the rest of them, so they let us show a crest. Literaries are the quill and inkwell. Ah, I understand. Ernest smiled and nodded. Are musicians the same? Guild, I mean. Well, I would assume the songwriters are, seeing as they'd just be poets who get paid a bit more, but performers such as yourself would be classed differently. The man gestured to Ernest's lute and paused. Can't say I remember the name, but they've got some sort of harp as their sign. I know, it makes them look especially pretentious from the outside, but I can't say I've met one of them that I didn't like. And that's including yourself. He trailed off, waiting for Ernest to tell him his name. Ernest, said Ernest, telling the stranger his name. I'm from north of here. The courier frowned at that and fumbled with his bag, struggling for a moment with the limp cloth before retrieving a note. Linden? He so eloquently inquired. The town mean anything to you? I think it might. That's with an L at the start? Y yes. It... What else would be at the start? I'm sorry. Forget I asked. The courier blinked twice and resumed speaking. Well, one of the Linden's farmers sent a bird to the capital for testing, and it's got the worm. 
I'm carrying the official report of their scientific proceedings to the town to notify them. Ernest broke in. Terribly sorry to be interrupting like this, but is that not against your code of conduct? I mean, opening letters and telling people and all seems a little... I see your concerns, my friend, the man began, forceful but not quite aggressive. He had clearly given this speech many times before. However, this parchment is inked with a health standards warning. He waved the page around in the air just long enough for Ernest to identify a red blot of ink on the back of the page as to be displayed when the message was rolled up. According to my organization's code of conduct, passing by a person without notifying them of the updates to our continent's safety could land me in a dungeon. Any chicken raised in Linden is not to be consumed under any circumstance. Spread the message along to anyone else you might meet on your travels, obviously excepting those you wish a slow death upon. Ernest smiled and nodded, thanked the courier for the info, then packed up his bedding and went on his way. A minute later, he realized that he didn't know the messenger's name, but figured he'd just forgotten it. The jays were calling cheerfully, or maybe sadly. Ernest couldn't tell. More importantly, he couldn't be bothered to care. It was midday when Ernest reached a break in the trees. He heard the soft bubbling of a creek nearby, and noticed smoke rising from a stout building on the other side of a meadow. Oasis Inn, a sign announced meekly, just this way. It was a small board with plain text, and it seemed less than happy about its assignment, judging by the way its post tilted slightly sideways in the wet mud. Ernest made his way to the building and pushed at the door. A wave of warmth swept over his body as Ernest stepped into the building. It was far more spacious than it had seemed from the outside, and there was a bar in the front room with a wizened old man behind the counter. Ten paces away, he observed a youthful server carrying a plate of meat to the only customer in sight at a booth meant for six. A fire burned in a hearth next to a few empty tables. Ernest took a few steps towards the bar and tried to choke out a greeting, but started to cough instead. A hot meal? Hot spiced wine? A place to stay the night? An ale? Someone to talk to? What'll it be, son? The man seemed like a kind fellow, is what Ernest would have thought if he hadn't been in the process of suffocating right then. Instead, he managed a gasp, then got right back to forcefully pushing air out of his throat. After a spell, Ernest composed himself enough to present an almost adequate introduction. Ernest. I'm Ernest. Or Ernie. You can call me whichever. Mighty fine name, that is, too. My grandson's birth name is Bernard, though some of our regulars call him Bernie, he explained, waving a feeble hand in the general direction of the young server, who was now seated across from a single customer. I'd never do that, though. Seems to be something a childish about it, if you ask me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ernie's just something my friends call me. But I usually go by Ernest. Makes me seem more calm and collected. Name's Astor Tornell, manager of the Oasis Inn. Can't tell you how pleased I am to have made your acquaintance, Ernest. Astor eyed Ernest's instrument and decided to change the subject abruptly and without warning. Wandering minstrel, eh? Aye, we haven't had a great many of those in the past few months. Not too many travelers to cross through these doors anyhow, and I've never been one to book entertainment for a crowd of empty tables. Winter's on its way out now, though, and the singers soon should be wrapping up their seasonal contracts with more lavish hotels. He gave a resigned look and turned his head towards the fireplace, still sputtering and spitting sparks out onto the cobbled floor underneath 
a few of the many vacant seats. Ernest gave his best attempt at a knowing smile, but the innkeeper's head was turned in another direction. To recapture Astro's attention, Ernest instead began to speak. Would you take me on as an entertainer? The hospitality business must be getting busier soon, or with the spring coming up so quickly and all. Apologies, son. I'm no stranger to the turning of the seasons, but I'm afraid we've simply not got the copper to pay you. I can offer a night and a breakfast for a few songs, but no more than that. Shake on it? Ernest immediately extended his hand, and the old man agreed with a smile. They exchanged a few more words before Ernest ordered Vaughn to celebrate his first performance job, and Astor hobbled back into the kitchen. Here's to my venture, and many more to come, he thought to himself. He decided to raise the glass and speak the words out loud, but only managed to get halfway there. His cup had been in the air for fifteen seconds when Ernest heard a voice behind him. You looking for a tablecloth, sire? The young worker he recognized as Bernard Turnell was leaning against a stool a couple feet down, grinning wildly. The other diner had made a stealthy exit, and now it was only Ernest and Bernard at the bar. Don't you worry. For forty years, folks have been spilling their drinks over the counter, and for forty years, me and Gramps have been wiping up the mess. When he noticed Ernest's bewildered affect, the man quickly added, Well, my grandpa's been at it forty years. This spring makes three for me. Three years is respectable. I've never held a job that long myself, even working for family. Ernest had never held any job for any amount of time, but didn't see any harm in encouraging the man. And it's been a hard year so far, if I'm being honest, what with the worms and the chickens and whatnot. Our antics seem to have stopped crossing over to the verdant forest for the birds, seeing as now they're killing people and such. A courier came this way maybe two days past, said the worms had spread to Linden. Shame. Bernie shook his head. My mother tended a flock up there till the beginning of winter, but the hen's eggs stopped hatching after they'd gotten the worm. Only shells with black dust inside, along with some of the little wrigglers. Next, the chickens began to dry up, and suddenly we were one too many in the cottage. Yesterday morning was when she decided it was warm enough to travel, so here I am. The man chuckled. We've got like beginnings, you and I. Only it was my father's fault there were too many mouths to feed, not the devil bringing these worms about. Pop made mistakes with his smithy and his manhood. <sighs> Nothing like fostering a couple of bastards to push his true-born son out of the nest. Ernest lifted up his lute and rested his left hand on the neck. I think you're doing quality work, my friend. I'd love to keep chatting, but I should be starting my set soon. The man's eyes stopped smiling, although his mouth stayed in place. Some music would be most welcome, but I do have something to ask of you first. I've been conducting an experiment, and I want you to be part of it. Ernest's ears pricked up as Bernard continued. In short, I believe soaking a chicken for 24 hours is long enough to saturate the worms with water and cause them to burst, making the birds safe to eat. I've already served one traveler a chicken known to be infected, and he was perfectly fine. I just need to repeat it with different folks to make sure it wasn't a fluke. I can give you three months' refuge in return for your risk. Ernest's ears were so pricked up now that he was worried they would grow points. He thought about pretending to be tentative about it to see if he could haggle a better deal, but was too excited. Yes, it would be my honor. Excellent. You have my gratitude, traveler. Ernest was giddy with excitement as he picked up his lute again, this time beginning to play. 
He serenaded the tonnelles with classic traveler's ballads such as Horsehair Honey, The Paw of Sweet Spring, and My Baby's on a Wild Goose Chase. He played until well after dark and went to sleep with a smile on his face. The next morning, Ernest woke to a note. Greetings, my blushing bard, it read. Ernest chuckled. The night before, his face had gone red midway through his second cup of wine. My father and I are out for the day. We were taking a few wheelbarrows to the east in search of more experimental units. Do whatever you wish today. You may come and go as you wish through the back door, but do not let anyone in, and do not eat the silking chicken until dinner time. The meat should be sloughing off the bones before your lips go anywhere near it. Signed, your partner in science. Ernest had slept late after a long night of playing, and so was eager to be out and about. He decided he should probably get acquainted with his surroundings if he was to stay there for the whole spring season, so he went out for a short hike. There were still many shimmering drops of dew gently resting on the field, and little rabbits hopping back and forth between the flowers. Ernest paid them no mind. He saw every pinecone fall in the forest, heard every squeak or squeal or squelch, but he couldn't take his mind off the chicken. After only a few hours, Ernest found himself turning around and hiking back the way he came, towards the inn and towards the experiment. He strolled around to the back of the inn, finding the door into the kitchen unlocked. He glanced out the window to see that the sun had almost set. It had been such a warm day that Ernest had forgotten that it was still technically winter, and the days were short. He shifted his gaze from the sun to the pot on a table next to the stove. A quick dip of his hand into the water told Ernest that it was lukewarm, but it had likely been hot, even boiling, earlier that morning. He reached for a soggy drumstick, but stopped to consider his situation. Are they ready yet? He said dinner time. I'm pretty sure. Well, what time is dinner? Ernest reflected for a few moments, trying to recall when he had dinner the night before. We never had dinner yesterday. I finished playing and passed out on my bed soon after. He decided to go with his gut, which was telling him that the normal time to eat was just as the sun was setting. First bites in daylight, last ones in the dark of night, as his mother used to say. His gut was also telling him that he hadn't eaten in too long. Ernest plunged his hand into the murky water again, this time retrieving a chunk of meat and forcing it down his throat. Unsurprisingly, it was bland and tasteless. That's all right, he reminded himself. Something doesn't need to be delicious to be exciting. Once he started eating, Ernest found it oddly difficult to stop. He chewed each bite thoroughly before swallowing, and kept taking more bites. Soon he found himself with a full stomach, drifting off to sleep as he laid down on a bench. He woke to shouting, Ernest! The chickens weren't finished soaking! You came back too early! Bernard cried out, anger and grief tinting his voice. He held up a bone and waved it around. The meat is still clinging to the bone. Didn't you read my note? The sun was almost down. I thought it was dinner time. A silence hung heavy in the air, and they both exhaled slowly, defeated. Astor and Bernard kept their promise of refuge, but Ernest's health rapidly deteriorated over the next few weeks as the worms tore through his body, soaking up every drop of water that they could. He had made attempts to send letters to his family, but no more couriers came to the inn. He occupied his mind by writing songs, but he had no inspirations, only aimless melodies, and nineteen years of living in a chicken breeder's household. That was obviously besides the ordeal he was currently facing, 
but Ernest didn't want the first and last song he would ever write to make people sad. Finally, one day, Bernard came to Ernest's room with a pitcher of water to talk to him and apologize again for all the pain he had caused. When he got closer to the bed and tried speaking to Ernest, however, he only received a smile and a nod in response. Ernest was pale, his lips were cracked, and each breath he took was shallower and more ragged. Bernard looked at the scene helplessly, but could not think of what to do to help. Ernest beckoned him towards the bed and picked up a small scrap of parchment from the table next to him, then handed it to Bernard. When he looked closely at the writing, he could see the scraps of a journal, a letter, and verses for songs, which Bernard read out loud. Dearest Mother, I wish you could have seen me perform on my first night at the inn. I had a contract, and I was to have free boarding. Hopefully, after that, the letter portion stopped abruptly to make way for a song. Bernard continued, Lying with you in the grass, wasting time. I'm completely relaxed. You make me feel so sublime. There was an author's note, but it only said how nice it would be if Ernest had a girl to love. Bernard didn't recite that part. When he finally got to the bottom of the page, Bernard saw the last line that Ernest had written. And judging by the expression on his face, it was the piece he was the most proud of. Seems like the early bard gets the worm, Bernard said, and chuckled in spite of everything. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Ernest smile, nod, exhale, then die.